Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Well, good morning, church. That's a lot better, isn't it? I was going to say something about like not taking it into 2024 that you guys don't talk back to me because it's often quite hard when I'm up here. Not when I oh, there we go. I can see everyone now. It's often quite hard up here when I when I don't know if what I'm saying is being received or not. Uh, I love you guys. I really do. I love every single one of you. But man, you got to smile a little bit more, eh? Like, like I'm, I'm sorry, but like you got to give me some feedback. And the more feedback you give me, the more that I'm going to start pushing for the spirit. All right? Sound good? Come on. I like to look around the room as well on a on a morning service and see kind of where everyone's situated. Uh, it's always cool to see um, some familiar faces. Um, I quite like that we all kind of migrate to the same area every Sunday. One of these Sundays I'm going to come and I'm just going to tell you guys to stand up and change seats. Say, nah, I, I won't because next time I preach you guys won't turn up. <laughs> hey, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Uh, it's a great day because this morning we are continuing in our summer series called Summer on the Mount. Uh, And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been in the book of Matthew, uh, working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We had Isaac kick us off uh, looking at the kingdom of God, followed by Jake, who spoke to us on living like Jesus. And last week, we had Hannah teaching on the higher standard that Jesus sets for us. And today, this morning, our message is titled, Spiritual Maturity, and they got me up here. How good? Come on. Look, I'll be honest with you, I was, a, I was a little unsure that I had the credibility to speak on spiritual maturity, um, even though my wife is always telling me how mature I am. Uh, I'm not sure why she phrases it like a question. Um, or anyway, I was, I was honored, but a little unsure. And thankfully, I was reminded of a verse in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7, where the Lord says, do not say you are too young. You must say whatever I command you to say. And that's what I'm here to do this morning. So church, I might be a little young, I might not yet like the taste of red wine, but the one who walks with me is more than credible, amen? And I believe that this morning he's got some, uh, some good things to teach us. So if you're with me, we're going to dive straight into our scripture for this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, open them up to Matthew 7. Uh, we are to be reading um, verses 1 through 12. Um, it will be on the screen behind me, so feel free to follow along. Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given. Sorry, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, 
do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Um, initially, I, when I read through this uh, passage, I felt as though I had enough, um, enough content to preach four sermons. And while I knew that my church would love to stay for an extra couple of hours, I decided that it was in my best interest and the best interest of my preaching future opportunities uh, to stick to just the one. I must say, though, during my time of research on these verses, um, I found that there was quite a few different theories as to what Jesus was saying in this part of his sermon. Some believe Jesus was forbidding judgment altogether. Some believe that Jesus was encouraging us to judge our sin. Some believe that the way we judge others is the way that God judges us when he decides whether or not we go to heaven. And some even believe that Jesus was prohibiting Christians from becoming judges, like the wig-wearing, gavel-bearing sense of the word. And while I acknowledge that these verses can seem a little complex, I don't believe that was Jesus' intention at all. What I believe that Jesus is doing in these verses is outlining our responsibilities as children of the Most High. And so this morning, we're going to take a little deeper look into those responsibilities, a deeper look into what Jesus is really teaching us here about spiritual maturity. Now, I'm also aware that there's going to be a lot covered in this, uh, in this sermon, so I do want to quickly encourage you to take a look at it for yourself. Um, if you find yourself with a spare couple of minutes, or maybe if you don't have anything planned for your connect group, this would be a great passage to go over. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time on it, um, but in comparison, I only have a short amount of time to preach it. So I encourage you to get into the Word and uh, see what God reveals to you. So our first responsibility, take the log out of your eye. Verses 1 to 5, judge not that you be not judged, for with the measure you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Now, I want to make it clear from the outset that Jesus is not forbidding judgment. Maybe that's obvious, or maybe that's a slightly controversial call to, make, to be making on a Sunday morning, but let me explain. How many times have you heard people say something along the lines of, well, Jesus said, don't judge? You know, it's, it's often used as a shorthand for avoiding any form of critical assessment, and sometimes it's even used to restrain the discernment of Christians. And if that's all that Jesus had said, then that'd be right, but it isn't. In these verses, Jesus is cautioning us against a particular kind of judgment, one that is hypocritical and self-righteous. Proper judgment is endorsed by Jesus. How do I know this? Well, John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. A little later in this chapter at verse 15, Jesus commands us to know ourselves and others by the fruits of their life. And in order for us to do that, some, some sort of assessment is necessary. See, because as Christians, we are called to show unconditional love, but we are not called to show unconditional approval. So what am I saying? That we should just kind of all walk around with a loaded gun of judgment, just shooting everyone and judging them for their sin, calling them out for it? No, absolutely not. 
Because while the scripture does not prohibit examining the lives of others, it certainly does prohibit it in the way that it is often done. Proper judgment should be an act of love and not an act of accusation. And this is so important for us to, st- uh, for us to understand because of the following verses. Jesus says in verse 2 that the standard we judge someone will be used against us, which is kind of terrifying, right? Because if we are to wrongly judge another person with an attitude of accusation, then we too will be accused to the same measure. But if we judge another in love and grace, we will receive more love and grace from the Father. According to the teaching of some rabbis in Jesus' time, God had two measures in which he used to judge people. Uh, One was a measure of justice, and the other was a measure of mercy. And Jesus is urging us here to recognize the measure that we desire God to use in our judgment is the same measure that we should be applying to others. And it's crucial to clarify that this teaching doesn't put our salvation at risk. Um, As believers, our salvation is secure, um, as Jesus assures us in John 10.27 when he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. The judgment that Jesus speaks of is not about salvation, but about the consequences and measure of judgment that we will experience on our earthly lives, in our earthly lives, which is scary, because if we're accusing people, sorry, which is scary if we're accusing people, but an absolute blessing if we're showing love and grace. Which brings rise to the question, how do we embody this principle? How do we actually live this out in our lives? Well, if only Jesus would have given us some kind of illustration. That's actually exactly what he did. Um, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. We must humble ourselves over our own sin before we can rightly help others with theirs. Otherwise, it's just the blind leading the visually impaired. And this example, it really resonates with me too, um, though probably not in the way that it does with most. See, I'm that guy that always gets something stuck in my eye. Like, honestly, it's almost an everyday occurrence. Even last night before I went to bed, it's something stuck in my eye. It's ridiculous. You can ask my wife. She'll testify to it. She'll tell you the amount of collective hours that she has spent waiting for me while I fish something out of my eye. It's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. It's uncomfortable, but it is what it is. I don't know why my eyes want to become best friends with every speck of dust and eyelash in the room, but that's just the way they are, and I've got to love them. But as I read this example, right, I found myself looking at it from a slightly different perspective than we normally do. I aligned myself with the speck guy. Now, I know that Jesus is obviously slightly exaggerating to make a point here, and I also acknowledge that I'm in the category of the log guy too. But because I read it with this different perspective, I believe that the Lord revealed something to me uh, that we don't often consider when we read this analogy. See, while it would be incredibly difficult for someone with a log in their eye to remove the speck from someone else's, I don't think it would be very difficult for someone with a speck in their eye to see the log. What am I getting at here? Well, often when I have something stuck in my eye, I struggle to see what is actually there, and so I ask Rebecca to help me. I'm making it sound like a big deal. It's it's really not. We have a lot of fun in our household. Um, I promise. But I need someone with a clear vision to help me. 
But if that person was then to say to me, yes, I'll help you, let me just put my blindfold on, I'd know immediately that they weren't wanting to assist me at all. Further than that, I'd start to think that they were trying to worsen my situation. And this is exactly what we have to be cautious of as advocates of the body of Christ. When we are providing guidance or judgment or even just our own opinion, if they don't come from a place of humility, if the log hasn't been removed, then not only are we risking the measure of judgment being placed over our own life, we are also damaging the representation of Jesus. You know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, that just sounds too difficult. That, that sounds way too risky, so I'm just going to abstain from judgment. I'm going to leave it down to my church leadership. Well, that doesn't really work either, because as children of God, we are the ones that have been called to bring the truth to the world. We are the ones that are able to provide a level of guidance that goes beyond the bounds of our fleshly desires, that which the world so desperately needs. How do I know this? Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Holy Spirit should restore them. We should be the people of this world that those with problems can come to, with logless eyes open to the truth that can set them free. Christians and non-Christians alike, we all experience problems. And we need to know that there is a place that we can go, people that we can talk to, that won't make us feel accused or guilty, but loved and liberated. You know, I can guarantee you that Jesus didn't have no piece of timber stuck in his eye. Now, he had it strapped to his back, and he took it to Calvary, and he left it there so that all those who believe in him won't be judged according to their sin or their transgressions or their past or problems or status. They'll be judged according to mercy and grace, and it's about time we started doing the same. Take that log out of your eye. I'm not telling you off, I promise. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this was a hard one to talk about, but more so because I love dogs. Currently, we are housing my brother and sister-in-law's dog um, while they've been shifting places, and just the amount of joy that I get from seeing how excited that little spastic gets every time she sees me is just so good, you know? But the dogs of Jesus' time, they were a slightly different kettle of fish. Um, they were considered, you know, scavengers or walking vessels of rabies and other, disease, other diseases. They weren't the type of animal that you wanted to be anywhere near. A little bit like cats. And, 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 pigs, <laughs> and pigs were just disgusting, right? They were disgusting. And so to understand what Jesus is saying here, let's consider its context. The verse comes directly after Jesus cautioning us against judgmental attitudes and self-blinding criticism, the log in the eye. So it seems like he's saying, look, I'm not telling you to ignore everything and everyone, but be smart about it. Jesus is wanting us to practice our gift of discernment when we share the gospel or provide guidance. We should recognize that there are valuable and precious things that shouldn't be offered to those who respond with hostility and rejection. An example of this is found in Matthew 10, where Jesus tells the disciples, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, you leave that home, you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet and move on. He isn't saying this to discourage us from spreading the message. He's encouraging us to be smart about it. Believers are to be merciful, forgiving and slow to judge. 
Yet they should wisely discern the true character of people and not indefinitely continue proclaiming the gospel to those who adamantly reject it. Instead, we should move on and spread the good news to those with ears to hear it. It's an effective method. And on that lighthearted note, um, what's our next responsibility? Ask, seek, and knock. Verses 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here we have uh, a good old-fashioned switch-up, a Jesus classic, if you will. One moment he's talking about judgment, and the next moment he's talking about prayer. And at first I thought, you know, that when I first read this, I thought that these were separate teachings. I was kind of like, well, what happened between those two points? Did they, I don't know, go for a tea and coffee break and come back with a different kind of fire? I'm not sure. I just thought to myself that they were separate. But through my study, I have realized that they aren't separate at all. Consistently throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers back to the importance of prayer. And this passage is no exception. I believe the reason that Jesus structured his sermons this way was to highlight to us just how impossible it is to fulfill every standard on our own accord. We've spoken about removing the log from our eye, removing this cloud from our discernment. But even though you are now aware of this, there will still be times when you fail. Just the other day, I, um, I went to the supermarket, and as I was leaving the supermarket, there was a man sitting outside, and he was asking for money. And the man sitting there happened to be sitting directly under a sign that was saying that the supermarket was hiring. And, you know, to myself, without a second thought, I judged him. You know, it might not have been out loud, but it was in my head, and that's just as bad. And shortly on my walk back to the car, I, I was reminded of the verse that says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn your back on the poor and needy. Failed. Just like that, I had failed the standard that Jesus sets for me. And I'm the guy that's been writing a sermon on it for the last couple of weeks. Spiritual maturity is not about living a perfect life. It's about understanding that we can't without Jesus. These verses aren't just a random insert teaching us about how to pray, but also an instruction on how to live the standards that Jesus sets for us. You know, for quite some time in my life, I had a big problem with these verses. I had quite the quarrel, you could say. I often thought to myself, how could Jesus Jesus say these words when there are prayers in my life that haven't been answered? Times when I have sought the Lord and not found what I was looking for, and doors that I've knocked on and they've remained shut. But what I have often overlooked in these verses is the second part, where Jesus uses the example of a parent to show the love that God has for us. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As a child, I could never understand why we didn't stop at Macca's on the way home. 
No, I mean, seriously, I could not understand it. All I was thinking was, why on earth are we refusing this amazing food on offer for the convenience of an open window? Like, that just made no sense to me. I mean, you take two 100% beef patties sauce, sauce from farmers in the regions such as Taranaki and Waikato, add the delicious combination of crisp iceberg lettuce, melting cheese, onions, pickles, all, all wrapped together in the toasted sesame seed bun. And for a grand finale, a, fi- a generous helping of the special Big Mac sauce. How hungry are you? I'll be sending Mac as my bill. But, in, you know, um, but as a child, it just did not make sense to me. We'd just drive on by, and I'd watch those golden arches go past my window and fade off into the distance. It didn't make sense to me. You know, and if I was feeling, if one day I was feeling brave enough, I would speak up. I'd pick up my courage, and I'd ask mum, and I'd say, mum, can we stop and get some food? And she would turn to me and say those four dreaded words that no child wants to hear. There's food at home. <laughs> I mean, this would absolutely shatter me. Hey, like, sometimes I would even think that my mum had it out for me. I started to think that, uh, that I was going to starve to death on the way home. No, nah, it wasn't that deep. Um, I was just a big boy with a very strong passion for Big Macs. My brother didn't call me Sumo Samuel for nothing. But in my misery, heartbreak, and misunderstanding, what I was missing and what my mum knew was that her growing child, it was better, that as a growing child, it was better for her son to wait for the proper nourishment that she had for me at home. Even though I didn't get the answer that I was looking for, even though I didn't understand it, there was something better on my horizon. Who said you can't preach about a Big Mac? What I believe Jesus is saying in the second part of these verses is that God loves you greater than your parents ever could. And while you might not receive the answer in the time frame that you were expecting it, he has better things in store for you. And you just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Now, I'm not saying don't keep asking or seeking or knocking. Because if it was one of those days where I wasn't feeling brave, And we had gotten all the way home and I still wasn't brave enough to ask mum for any food. She wouldn't know that I was hungry. It wouldn't be till I ask her her that she would know my needs. Better than that, if she caught me searching the pantry for morsels or knocking on the door of the fridge, I think it would become very apparent to her what I was needing in that moment. The same goes for our prayer life. If we keep asking keep seeking, and keep knocking on the door. It shows the Father that you are expecting him to answer, trusting that he will show up, and believing that he can open those doors. But what if our prayers aren't answered? Well, I want to use the same example. If you're a parent and your child asks you for an apple and you go to the fruit bowl and the only apple that you have there is a moldy, beat-up, fly-infested one, you're not going to give it to them, are you? In fact, you might offer them something else, maybe an orange or a banana, but you aren't going to be giving them what they had asked for. So is the relationship, so is the same in our relationship with God, even if our prayers aren't answered in the way that we anticipate, or if we don't receive what we asked for, it's a reminder that we trust and we trust in a loving and omniscient God. Even when we may not fully understand it, we can take comfort in the belief that God in his infinite wisdom knows best. 
And he has a plan for us, plans for good and not for evil, for a future and a hope. Why? Because he loves you greater than you ever possibly could imagine. Which brings us to our final responsibility of these verses, the golden rule. Um, And as the worship team comes back up to, to join me, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus concludes our passage with a simple principle often referred to as the golden rule. We are to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Jesus calls for a more active engagement with others, urging us not only to refrain from causing harm, but to actively pursue acts of love and kindness. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching about loving God, loving others, and living righteously. And here he brings it all together with the pinnacle of his message, which is love. Galatians 5 verse 14 echoes this, echoes this saying, For all the law is fulfilled in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. While I was preparing this message, I often found myself coming back to this verse that Jesus ends with. And every time I read it, I knew that there was something more, something more that the Lord was trying to show me, something that I was missing. So I spent some time with the Lord in prayer, asking that he would reveal it to me. But just nothing came to me. I I couldn't get it. I spent a little bit more time and and a lot more frustration, but eventually I decided that it wasn't happening and I needed to move on, which naturally meant grabbing my phone for some procrastination. And when I, opened up my, when I opened up my phone on my home screen, I've got this little widget that shows, us the, shows me the verse of the day. And so I unlocked my phone and I looked at the verse, and I read the verse found in 1 John 4 verse 19, which reads, We love because he first loved us. And just like that, it all made sense. Jesus gives us this commandment because it is the very nature of the God who loves us. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. God wants us to love him, so he first loved us. God wants us to serve him, so he first served us. God wants us to keep our promises to him, so he first kept his promises to us. You don't have to strive endlessly to earn God's love or favor. It's freely given. It's already there. And in the overflow of his love, we find the inspiration and strength to extend that to others. At the heart of spiritual maturity is the call to love with authenticity. Jesus implores us not, to only ref- uh, not just to refrain from judgment, but to judge with love, acknowledging our shortcomings before helping others. This love, as we discover, is not stagnant. It discerns wisely, recognizing the readiness of hearts and uh, preserving precious truths from being trampled. The call to ask, seek, and knock emphasizes the importance of persistent prayer. Even when we don't understand the timing or the outcome, we trust in the Heavenly Father's wisdom and love, knowing that He desires the best for us. And the golden rule captures the foundation of spiritual maturity a call to treat others as we wish to be treated. It isn't a mere ethical guideline. It is an invitation to embody the very nature of God. At the beginning of my message, I said that I thought I had enough content to preach four sermons. 
But at the end, I realized that it wouldn't matter if I preached a hundred sermons. They would all have the same conclusion. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. How about you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, as we close this time together in your word, we just come before you with hearts filled with gratitude, Lord. Lord, thank you for the richness of your teachings and the depth of your love. Lord, we ask for the grace to live out these teachings in our own lives. And would you grant us the strength to remove the log from our eyes, to discern wisely and to approach others with love and with grace that that reflects your nature, Lord. Lord, we love you. We honor you. And today, as every other day, we glorify your name above all else. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content, but thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.